Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top 10 Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast with me, Laura Slattery, standing in for Kieran Hancock this week. On today's show, I'm joined by my Irish Times colleagues Dominic Coyle, Joe Brennan and Owen Burke-Kennedy to talk about some of this week's business news. Later, we'll be discussing what's new in the world of Brexit, including comments by Theresa May and the European Commission's Chief Negotiator, Michelle Barnier. We'll also have a look at the plans by JP Morgan to move hundreds of staff out of the UK and what this might mean for Dublin. But first, we're going to talk about a publication that's hot off the presses, and that's the Central Bank Annual Report. Owen Burke-Kennedy, you've been covering this for us. What's the headline news today? Yes, well, uh, the Central Bank reported a financial profit of £2.3 billion for uh, 2016, which is rather large for central banks, especially one of Ireland's size. But it, it relates to... Um, Basically, it's, it's, it's disposal of what it calls the special portfolio, which was acquired as a result of the liquidation of IBRC, formerly Anglo. So the net gain for the state is going to be around $1.8 billion, which is going to be paid into the exchequer as a result of this. Now, Philip Lane warned that this level of profitability will diminish over time, and he was asked to kind of speculate what he thought the bank could earn in a normal non-related uh, year, which would be around $400 million, he thought. Um so yeah, it's it's pretty good numbers. So it's good news that 1.8 billion is is going to go to the exchequer. Yeah, it's going to go to the exchequer um, and help reduce the state's uh, deficit. So um, you mean you're just back from the briefing, which is the first one that they've held uh, down in their new premises on uh, on North Walkie, or rather the first annual report yeah. that they've presented down there. Um, you know, is this a sense of a new era for the central bank? Well, certainly. Um, ironically, it's obviously in the building that was destined to be Anglo's headquarters at one stage so there's a certain irony in all of that but um, yes, big new building on the North Key Wall big airy, spacious uh, building full of light which um, I suppose does signal um, a new era in regulation here which we've had actually for a few years and it also comes you know, uh, on top of Brexit with uh, a number of firms obviously potentially looking at Dublin as the target for their exit strategy from London and did Phil Blaine have any anything to say today about uh, fears of a potential uh, property bubble? Yeah, um, well, 
he was asked to defend uh, or asked about whether he thought the recent revision to the central bank's lending rules, you remember last November they uh, made the loan-to-value uh, requirement for first-time buyers, they relaxed it somewhat. He was asked whether he thought that had fueled further inflation in the market, which we've seen since the beginning of this year. Now, he categorically denied wh- that they were a big enough cohort to drive the market uh, to the level uh, we're seeing today. So he he was firm in, in, in defending the bank's move and sort of insisted that they were taking a more longer-term strategic view of the market and that the ups and downs of the house prices market had yet to kind of work itself out so, um, because they have actually taken a bit of, of stick over this, or, or some criticism has, has come in, in their direction. They have. I mean, the new element to the to the housing market has been the government's help to buy scheme and the central bank's relaxing of uh, its mortgage lending rules. So they've, uh, you know, been blamed for flicking the dial on inflation a little bit. Whether that's the case, it's very early days to tell. But he's adamant that. You know, the current level of inflation can't be seen outside of the context of supply, which, of course, is the big kind of elephant in the room when it comes to housing. So it's not a sense of perhaps history repeating that the, the system is a bit more robust no, now? the system is very much locked down. I mean, he, he did mention an interesting fact that, you know, the, the central bank's new rules did tie prices to income. So that may not be much, uh, you know... Um, Salvation for people to, uh, at the, near the bottom of the market trying to get on at the, at the bottom level of the, the ladder, but essentially, um, with buyers only able to borrow three and a half times their income, it's very difficult to see how we could have the kind of run away prices that we had in the previous era. Okay, now turning to the revenues deadline for declaring offshore assets is 5.30pm on Thursday, May 4th, which right now, as we record this podcast, is tomorrow. Uh, Dominic Coyle, your personal finance Q&A postbag has been full with queries on this very complex issue. Uh, first of all, can you tell us <coughs> what is happening and why? Yeah, the uh, the government has announced a clampdown on people who hold uh, income or assets offshore um, and who have not yet declared them to the revenue um, there's, the interesting thing about it is that this is happening just at the same time that the revenue is getting access to information from other tax jurisdictions. There's a whole raft of new agreements coming in, which are broadly called the Automatic Exchange of Information. It effectively means 100-plus countries will now be giving each other details of uh, the tax affairs of their various citizens, and that means it's going to be harder to dodge the revenue if you do have earnings or rental income or other things abroad. And is it possible that some people might not realise that they have a potential issue? Yeah, it's it's emerged. Initially, Revenue sent uh, letters to about 500,000 people uh, earlier this year in February. Uh, these were people who filed um, annual returns with the Revenue to say that, they, that this was coming up in, in May and they needed to get their affairs in order if they had any issues. Unfortunately, no letters went out to people who were on the PAYE system, which is still the majority. And it only emerged uh, last weekend that many of these people might also have issues. It turns out that the first tranche of information that's come to the revenue from the US authorities has shown that a lot of these people might have uh, shared dividend income, which they should be declaring to the revenue. Okay, so is, is who's not affected by this? Well, if, if you have bought, let's say, a holiday property abroad with money that you've already declared to the taxman, either here or wherever else you lived, and you're not renting it out, you're fine. If you're paying into a pension abroad or, or a life insurance policy abroad with money that's been ta- that's been taxed, that's fine too. It's only if you're getting income from uh, an asset or from a company abroad and you haven't declared that money. If you're getting getting a, a pension payment, a, 
payment for a project that you might be doing in the Gulf states, even though you're an Irish-based landscaper or whatever. And and when do you have to act? Immediately. The deadline is uh, 5.30 tomorrow, May 4th. And that deadline is for people to make what's called a qualifying or a voluntary disclosure to the revenue, complete with the payment that is due. So they have to disclose what income they have. They have to calculate how much they owe in tax, in interest and in penalties. And there's already reckoner on the revenue website to allow you to do that and then pay that bill. And they will effectively have to do that online to meet that deadline at this stage. Okay, so it's quite it's quite an, an owner set of, of demands. Although, of course, this is just complying with the with the tax law. But what, what happens if they don't? If they don't, what revenue says is after tomorrow, uh, they will not allow you to make a voluntary disclosure. What that means is that whereas now you might pay penalties of ten percent on any tax owing, after May fourth, you could face penalties of up to one hundred percent of the tax amount. So it's a fairly considerable whack. You could also face criminal prosecution. You might even have your name put in the quarterly list of tax defaulters if the amount you owe is big enough. But there is there is a little bit of light in the tunnel for, for some smaller taxpayers that if the amount you owe, the total amount you owe on everything you have abroad is less than 6,000, the revenue will allow you to approach them after May 4th and settle your affairs without penalty. So there's some wriggle room for that group. Is, is there any yes. wriggle room for others? No, there isn't for others. If you're above 6,000, there's no wriggle room and revenue's view is that after this date, offshore assets is effectively going to be seen as deliberate tax evasion and treated as such. So it's it's deliberate, not not simply kind of careless mistake that exactly. they've made. Okay, yeah. exactly. It's not that they just forgot. It's it'll be seen as deliberate evasion. So and you'll be penalised as such. So this hard a harder line effectively from the revenue commissioners is is it as you say because of because of this cooperation that they have with other authorities or there, is there another reason for this kind of clampdown? Well, tax authorities worldwide are looking to maximise income if they can. Austerities uh, sort of has has made everyone very lean and and governments are always looking for more money to spend on on uh, various projects and infrastructure and the like. But the big big change is this automatic exchange of information now means that places like the Isle of Man, the Cayman Islands are going to be sending back to the revenue in Dublin information of any accounts that an Irish addressee may have in those jurisdictions or even somebody with an Irish passport, even without an Irish address. Those details will be sent back to to Dublin. OK. Well, I'm sure that's a topic we'll probably come back to again because I mean, the revenue will be giving an update, I'm sure, on the on you know how many people have perhaps, you know, don't declare by this deadline and who they <laughs> subsequently prosecute. Well, we certainly expect to get a, a figures hopefully later this week on, on how many people have actually approached the revenue to uh, to fess up, if you like, and to try to settle their affairs. OK. OK, Joe, Brennan, I'm coming to you now. Um, you've been looking at the property group uh, Kennedy Wilson Europe and a letter that its board received um, from George Soros's Quantum Partners. Can you tell us what that letter said? Yeah, I suppose um, to take a step back, um, uh, early last week, um, uh, Kennedy Wilson Holdings, uh, which is the, the California and Beverly, Beverly Hills-based um, property group, which had first kind of uh, stepped uh, into the Irish property market back in 2011 when it bought out uh, Bank of uh, Ireland uh, real estate business. So it was among the first of the, the major US investors that really kind of took a punt in Ireland. Uh, this is back in the day when uh, when uh, Ireland was at the very beginning of a bailout. Property prices were obviously still declining. Um, so they, they came along and, and were among the first investors. Um, they set up a, a, a European business. Uh, they used the, the Irish business to, to develop a, a European business. They bought in the UK. They bought a number of assets in Ireland. Uh, kind of cheap 
chief among those would be the uh, Stillorgan Shopping Centre. Um, you have uh, a number of office blocks um, around Baggett, um, uh, around Baggett Plaza in, in, in Dublin 4 and also the Port Mark Hotel uh, and, and Golf Links. So they're kind of the Irish properties that are in the portfolio. Recently, um, most of the assets are based in the UK, about 56% of the assets are based in the UK. And you see that UK property uh, companies are trading at a deep discount to what they call net asset value, which is the kind of the, the key measure that uh, property investors look at when they're looking at um, uh, property assets. And typically, uh, this company, uh, Kennedy Wilson Europe, which was floated by Kennedy Wilson. On the to, London Stock Exchange. In 2014 yeah. to, to basically hold the, 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 the European assets. Kennedy Wilson Holdings in the States continue to hold about a 24% stake in the business. But until recently, the, the stock was trading at a 20% discount to this net asset value, and they saw an opportunity to make a bid for the rest. The problem is um, it's, it's been hit on two fronts by shareholders on both sides. Uh, last week, we saw the the Kennedy Wilson Holdings, the U.S. shareholders in the U.S. company, because the the deal is done on an all-stock basis. In other words, Kennedy Wilson is issuing stock rather than cash to the Kennedy Wilson Europe um, shareholders for the 76% that they remaining in the stock that they want to, to, to buy out. That was basically priced at almost uh, priced almost 20% above what the stock was trading in the market. So basically it priced the European assets. Remember, there was, it was dominated by, by UK assets um, at almost uh, net asset value. On the other side, you had the uh, US company and a lot of investors in the US company reckoned that they were selling their own stock to the shareholders in the European part um, too cheaply. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them had a, a valuation in their own minds about 30% higher than what the, the value of the stock that they were issuing. So you had discontent on that side and you saw the share price in, in the US company falling by about 11% last week on the back of that. Now on the, on the European side we see that George Soros who everyone will remember back in uh, the early 90s uh, was uh, basically uh, came to fame over uh, allegations that he broke the the, the, the Bank of England over the uh, over the, uh, the valuation over the exchange rate mechanism and 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 and, and the exit uh, from and the, that from from the, the UK exit from that, um, he came out. He has a, a hedge fund. The hedge fund is uh, Quantum Partners, and he reckons that. A few things. First of all, he thinks that it should have been opened out to more investors. He was disappointed by the terms and the fact that it was an all-stock deal rather than cash, and he reckoned it should have been opened up to new investors. And when you have someone like that who has 12% of the stock coming out and very publicly coming out um, against a deal. It's going to be very hard for. But he the said he said um, they said it, they were disappointed. Yeah, disappointed with the terms. Uh, disappointed with the fact that this is an all stock deal. Um, that it should be open to, to more uh, potential buyers. And if you opened up the process to more potential buyers, you could see a cash deal come on the table. For a lot of European investors, that would be more favourable. Remember, some European investors in Candy Wilson are only allowed to invest in European stocks. They have to sell anyway. But also that Quantum suggested perhaps there were other options available to, to Kennedy Wilson Europe. Yeah, um, another option would be to, to evaluate actually liquidating the, the, the assets and actually could they realise more over time by actually selling the assets or by opening up the process and allowing other bidders to come on board. So what, what do you think will happen next? Um, I think when you have the level of discontent on both sides to a deal, something has to give. And particularly when you have a major shareholder, remember uh, Quantum, 
was among the first investors in Kennedy Wilson Europe when it came out to the stock exchange in 2014. When they're coming out so openly against that, it's very hard for the for the board of Kennedy Wilson Europe not to listen to something like that. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment and take a short break. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Now, back to Brexit. Who knew it was possible for relations to sour further between Britain and Europe? Today, Theresa May accused the European Commission of trying to affect the outcome of the UK election, which is really quite an extraordinary thing for a Prime Minister to say. Meanwhile, the Commission's chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, has said Ireland will be one of the initial areas of focus in Brexit negotiations, alongside the much-disputed size of the UK's so-called divorce bill. Dominic, what do you make of the latest noises coming out of Brussels and London? Yes, it certainly caused a bit of a storm. Uh, Barnier was speaking in Brussels at a press conference um, and he was fairly uh, pragmatic. He was simply talking about them settling the terms of, of, of the, the exit. He made made note of something of certainly particular interest to Ireland to say that of the three issues that will be up for discussion first off will be one, the financial settlement, which we knew. Secondly, the status of expatriate citizens in the US, in the UK and, and EU, which has also been fairly well flagged. And also the future of the border between the UK and Ireland, which will certainly come as, as a comfort to the Irish, uh, Irish government. The, the cat was really put among the pigeons by a calculation done by the Financial Times, which suggested that the already hotly disputed uh, divorce bill of 60 billion estimated would in fact be closer to 100 billion uh, following, it said, a hardening of, of approach by uh, by certain European states. So there is obviously a little bit of a difference between 60 billion and 100 billion. And that's even even at that lower figure, it's, it was at a very unpalatable sum for, for, for London to, to have to accept. Oh, indeed. Well, the Brexit minister in the UK, David Davies, was already pouring lots of cold water on the 60 billion figure. Uh, he certainly called the, the 100 billion figure today laughable. Uh, it does bear, need bearing in mind that, in fact, the net figure that uh, the, the UK would pay, even on the, the most recent FT calculation, would be somewhere between about 55 and 75 billion. Not inconsiderable, but still allowing for what, what the UK would, would be uh, contributing and would be benefiting from the EU. So, so it wouldn't be 100 billion up front, but uh, they're still not happy and they say they have absolutely zero intention of paying. So May said today that, that she believed uh, that there were people in Brussels who wanted Brexit to fail. And in fact, they might agree on that point because the Commission President, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, reportedly told her at dinner in Downing Street that Brexit cannot be a success. So this is kind of what we've been kind of fearing in Ireland, isn't it? That there will be a sort of, I suppose, so-called kind of a punitive approach to this and that we might get caught in the crossfire. Yeah, it, it's a very de- delicate balance for, for Europe particularly. If they make it too easy, they encourage other other states or parts of states to do exactly the same as Britain is proposing. If they make it too hard, they could penalise themselves, the British and indeed the Irish. Um, so it is a delicate balance. There's a lot of um, posturing going on ahead of real talks beginning. That won't really happen till, till after the UK election. But certainly everyone is staking out fairly trenchant ground, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, negotiations manage to bring them closer to some sort of agreeable middle ground. 
Joe, what do you make of this? Yeah, no, I think one interesting point was uh, Barnier in the press conference. Uh, the UK um, Prime Minister, Theresa May, has made a lot of uh, noise about the fact that calling an election and securing a greater majority will give her, will strengthen her hand when it comes to negotiating with the EU and give her a strong mandate in, in, in those Brexit talks. Whereas Barnier has come out very strongly and said that it will not change the EU's position one, one bit or its determination to pursue its own agenda when it comes to the talks. So it's certainly slapping down even even what she aims to do or aims to achieve with the, uh, with the, the upcoming election. Yeah, I mean, the election is really, a, you know, a, you know, forcing a bit of the narrative in, in some ways, isn't it? Because, you know, you have May coming out and saying she plans to be a bloody difficult woman in these negotiations uh, using the, the tag that I think it was uh, Ken Clark gave her. And she's really embracing that. But that, I mean, that's not really aimed at Brussels, really. That's really aimed at the uh, <laughs> the possible, the electorate that think she thinks that'll play exactly. well with she's them. In a, she's in an election mode at this stage, so she has to appeal to her own constituency and appeal to the Conservatives uh, in, in making statements like that. But she's also making a statement to to Brussels as well when she's she's seen the leaks that have come out of uh, out of the the dinners she had with Jean Claude Juncker um, over the uh, prior to the weekend uh, and the leaks coming out in Frankfurt Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung uh, in terms of uh, um, basically Juncker saying that he came out of those talks ten times more sceptical that a deal could be reached um, than he was when he went into those talks. So there's been a lot of leaking from that. And I suppose she had to come out and say something fairly strong. A lot of leaking so far, Dominic. Do you expect more? Yeah, I, I certainly do. I, I think there's a, a large degree of naivety in uh, in London. Uh, this goes back even to the original Brexit debate and the Brexit poll. There was a sense that uh, only one side of the argument was heard. And, and that's why we ended up with the result we did. The idea that um, Theresa May or the Conservatives or anyone in Britain thinks that Brussels is going to allow an election which is fought largely on what the terms of Brexit should be to be decided without their voice have at least being heard is remarkably naive. OK. Um, Owen, um, did Philip Lane have anything to say about Brexit at the central bank uh, briefing today? Yeah, at the launch of the report, he was asked a number of times just how many firms had been in contact with the central bank around setting up operations here in the wake of Brexit. And we've had figures in the past. We've had a figure of 100 uh, sometime last year. And he declined to put a figure on it. And he said putting numbers on, on these type of inquiries was only confusing. Uh, he said the inquiries ranged from, you know, phone call, tentative inquiries to a ra- from uh, from little firms to a number of medium-sized and big firms actually coming over and meeting officials. So um, he declined to put a number on it. Um, he also said then that um, he felt that a lot of the big decisions had yet to be made. And so a lot of firms who were about to make a decision were waiting for another couple of months. So he thought that the real kind of post-Brexit cl- uh, landscape had yet to really emerge or materialise. Um, he was also asked then just whether uh, he thought Dublin's and Ireland's infrastructure Structural bottlenecks would, um, you know, cause us to lose a lot of this potential business. Because that's the thing. I mean, it's all very well bringing thousands of bankers here. Where are they going to live? Yeah, and, and and that's a point that's been made uh, from a number of sources in a number of days recently. So he he didn't really answer that question. He said that obviously the firms would be looking uh, down the line at what sort of infrastructure would be available for their employees, their staff in a few years' time. Would there be enough housing? Would there be enough school places? He didn't really say if the what, what he thought of the government's plan or what um, he thought would actually be the case in a few years. Okay, so Joe, J.P. Morgan, uh, there were comments from 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 that bank 
uh, today that they are looking to move staff to Frankfurt, Luxembourg and Dublin. Uh, what what can Dublin really expect from this? Yeah, I suppose um, JP Morgan have been um, among the kind of most forthcoming in terms of their planning and, and certainly publicly uh, uh, talking about their planning around uh, Brexit. Um, yes, we had the uh, the, the uh, chief executive of the uh, investment banking uh, and a corporate banking uh, part of the business, uh, Daniel Pinto, uh, giving it to you to Bloomberg um, uh, this week. And he talked about basically that they will end up moving hundreds of jobs to uh, Dublin, uh, Frankfurt and, and Luxembourg. Uh, I understand that basically uh, the top end job, the front office jobs, the kind of trader jobs, Will mainly go to uh, Frankfurt, um, and we'll, we'll probably we will see hundreds of jobs uh, coming to Ireland. But again, it'll be an extension of what they already do here. And the main thrust of their business in Ireland is is fund administration, back office work, and that and they would um, basically provide services to the hedge funds of this world and and, and the mutual uh, mutual funds, and also in the area of treasury. So it's more back to middle office type jobs. Um, we've yet to see uh, front uh, office jobs uh, come to Dublin as a result of Brexit. Is, in a way, is, is that a surprise? You know, Frankfurt's a major trading city. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of these banks already have big trading kind of offices and even prior to the euro, they would have had more, uh, more trading based in, 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 in Frankfurt. Um, so they, and also they'd be close to the European Central Bank, the, the SSM there, the, the, the supervisory arm of the European Central Bank. So they'll be on their footsteps, basically. They're very close to the, uh, to the regulator that's overseeing the activities there. So a lot of these companies would like to be close to where the regulator is so they can actually have that conversation if, if needs be uh, around supervision, supervision of these companies. I thought it was interesting, actually, what the JP Morgan executive uh, Daniel Pinto said when he was sort of talking it through. He was saying that they would need to have a certain number of people ready to move on day one of, of the post-Brexit ex- existence. But then it will also be looking at, you know, where it should be put, putting its staff in the long term. Yeah, um, a lo- particularly European banks. Uh, US banks did a lot of restructuring uh, very early on after the financial crisis. Um, and, and more European banks are really only coming to terms with restructuring their businesses, facing into the new realities in terms of how they run their businesses. Now, J.P. Morgan obviously is a U.S. bank, but a lot of a lot of banks are, are, are now using Brexit and not just to look at what they need to have in a certain country and a certain region to be able to do business in Europe. They're also looking at it as an opportunity to actually look back and say, hang on, where do we need this business to be in five, six, seven years' time? What are our costs? Why are so, why are so much of our costs based in the U.K., which is a high-cost um, place? And maybe looking to move stuff to other countries that may not necessarily be Brexit related. So they're looking at this as an opportunity to really kind of assess where the business is and where where, where they want to be in four or five years' time. So it's, it's an opportunity to really assess things. So the, the government has said, you know, it's going to be focusing on the, the huge economic and, and trade issues that, that might be posed by a hard Brexit, that that's going to come into focus in, in, in the next uh, few weeks, although... As Dominic mentioned, the real Brexit negotiations don't talk until after the general election. But is there anything that the Irish government can do, you know, in this situation, or are we just in, caught in the middle here? Um, when it comes to financial services, the likelihood is that that'll be one of the last things to be agreed because it's one of the things that's dearest to the UK's heart. So they want the EU, EU will want to get other aspects uh, dealt with first before they go to financial services. Dominic, what do you make of the Irish government's role in this? Yeah, I, I think uh, while financial services will be decided fairly late in the process, what JP Morgan has said today is nobody can wait till that point to make the decisions. So the decisions are going to be made a lot earlier than that. And the key thing for the government, as was mentioned earlier on by Owen, 
is the infrastructural deficit. Uh, if you're looking at middle and back office jobs, these aren't the, the super elite. These are people who need need functional homes, close to work, schools. They don't, they're not the super rich. So they're looking for precisely the accommodations that are not currently available. And if they're not available, ultimately banks will not move here because they won't be able to bring their staff here. So the government desperately needs to get the infrastructure sorted out if they're really serious about attracting the scale of jobs here that they talk about. So as well as making its voice heard in Brussels, it's got to fix a few things at home as well. We will leave it here. Um, That's all we have time for this week on Inside Business. My thanks to Dominic Coyle, Joe Brennan and Owen Burke-Kennedy. This podcast was produced by Jennifer Ryan and JJ Vernon was the sound engineer. A reminder that this is available to download from iTunes and on irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. You can also get the latest business news straight to your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email on irishtimes.com. I'm Laura Slattery. Until next time, take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.